0: The portion of God's Word that we're going to focus our attention on for a few minutes this snowy Sunday morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as John mentioned in his gospel, you just heard the account of the first miracle that Jesus performed, the first time that he gave a glimpse of his glory to the people following him. If you look through the gospels, you'll find over 30 different accounts of Jesus performing miracles. And I'm not setting an exact number because it kind of depends on how you count. Sometimes you have allusions where a miracle's alluded to, right? And all the people brought their sick to him and he healed them. It might have been 20, 30 miracles in one sitting there and it's just kind of mentioned at a at a glance. The, the apostle John, the same John who wrote this gospel at the very end of this gospel says these words, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So what does that mean? We just have a, a little bit, right? The 30 accounts of the miracles that Jesus performed, that's just a little taste of all that Jesus did while he was on this earth. And yet, what do we know? We, We have enough, right? We know enough. Maybe there's that curious side of us that would like to know the rest, that would like to know the rest of the details. What else did he do? How many other people did he help? We're just given a little taste, but that taste is enough. It's enough to show us who Jesus is. It's enough to show us the reality of our sin and our need for help, our need for forgiveness. It's enough to show us that Jesus is the Savior we we surely need. Mirrors were not like the ones that you and I have today, back in the day of Jesus and the Apostle Paul. They were not nice straight glass with a, a backing that allowed you to see yourself clearly in the reflection. Usually they were polished metal. And so that's what led the Apostle Paul to say these words at the end of 1 Corinthians. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. So again, we know a little bit, we know enough, but the best is yet to come. It's a theme that comes to mind when you study our gospel lesson. You see Jesus essentially saying to his mother, to his disciples, to you and me, this is a glimpse of my glory, but the best, the best is yet to come. The account starts on the third day of the week, so probably Tuesday, usually Sunday, first day, Monday, second day, Tuesday, third day of the week. There's a wedding taking place in this town called Cana. It's a little town next to Nazareth, not that far away at all from Nazareth where where Jesus grew up. We're told that Jesus' mother was invited. Some people think that maybe these people getting married, one of them was a relative of Mary's, possible. But we're not told. Jesus and his disciples are there. It seems that at this time, Jesus did not yet have the whole gathering of 12 disciples. We know about maybe five or six at this particular time. So you have Jesus' mother Mary, Jesus, and the first five or six disciples are at this wedding celebration. Our our weddings tend to take place on one day, right? You, you, You plan for months and months and months, maybe even for over a year. And then the day comes the wedding happens like this, the ceremony itself is like five minutes long and then you have a party afterwards for the rest of the day, but it's usually all contained to that one day. In Jesus' day, the Jewish custom was that weddings would go on for days, sometimes even a week, and it was your responsibility to take care of all the guests the whole time. This would have been quite the embarrassment if they actually ran completely out of, out of wine. And we should understand something about wine before we go much further, before, unless we all start to think that we have an alcohol problem in Cana. Wine was important. They drank it regularly. But one of the reasons was the water supply was usually not all that good. And people had figured out that if you mixed a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of wine with the drinking water, that it would take care of the problem. Maybe there was some bacteria in some of the water and a little bit of wine would neutralize some of the effects who knows? But this was a common table drink to have a little wine mixed with water. This was a regular thing. And them running out of wine would have meant more than just no more fun. That would have been part of it. But it would have been more than that. They, they needed the wine to provide for their for their guests. And it's, it's interesting as we see this interaction between Jesus and his mother. His mother is making him aware of a problem, right? She doesn't ask him to do anything. The note that John gives us is when the wine was gone, it it doesn't necessarily communicate that the wine was actually gone. It seems to mean that the wine supply was really, really low. It was almost drained completely. It's not quite quite an issue yet, but getting there, Jesus' mother comes and just makes him aware. She makes the statement to him, "Wine? They do not have. Wine, they do not have." Again, notice, she doesn't ask him to do anything. She just tells him, tells him about the potential problem. And, and Jesus' reaction might catch you off guard a bit a little bit. It might almost sound disrespectful at first. He says, "Dear woman, why do you involve me?" Literally, "Dear woman, what is it to you and to me?" What does this have to do with us? This is not our party. This is their party. This is not our our problem. Dear woman is the exact same phrase he uses while hanging on the cross. And he looks down and sees his mother, Mary, standing there watching him suffer. And the disciple whom he loves, John, standing nearby. Dear woman, here is your son. And to John, here is your mother. There's no disrespect here in Jesus' voice as he, rep- as he replies to his mother's statement. He wants her to know, my, my time has not yet come. Jesus says that quite often. And it usually has to do with someone wanting him to use his divine power in some way, shape, or form. And, and he'll say something like this, my time has, has not yet come. It's a healthy reminder for us as to why Jesus came and the purpose behind his God nature and his human nature coming together to form one Christ, 100% God, 100% man. It's a concept that we cannot fully understand, but it is important for us to realize that Jesus did not become a man so that he could use his divine nature to make life easier for the human. If he had done that, then he wouldn't really be like us, would he? If Jesus could just use his divine nature to, to make it so that he constantly had people following him like a traveling circus, performing miracles and bringing all these people along who might want to help him or serve him in some way, well then he wouldn't be like us because we can't do that. We can't just snap our fingers and do a little divine miracle so that people will start following us and giving us things. When he was on trial and about to be crucified, King Herod wanted to see some magic tricks, right? And Jesus was not about to oblige. That's not why he came. His time had not yet come. If Jesus was going to use his divine power to give a glimpse of his glory, it was going to be on his terms and at his time. Only when the time was absolutely right. And so it's kind of like Jesus is saying to his mother, I I know what you want me to do. I know you want me to save face for these people. I know you think that now would be a a good time, but just wait. The best time is is yet to come. You and I need that reminder quite often. Can you believe that in less than two months, in just a few weeks, it's going to be a year? A year since you started wearing those things on your faces and a, a year since the safer at home and the quarantining? I remember prayers nine months ago that the Lord would hurry this thing along and we could finish our safer at homing and be done with it and move on. And here we are, eight, nine, ten months later, and it it seems like it would be a good time now for the Lord to hurry up and answer our prayers so we can move on from this particular time in history. We've got to remember when we're bringing our prayers to the Lord that there's a difference between demanding something of Him and asking something of Him. There's people in our congregation right now who will pray, pray about it in just a little while who are mourning the loss of loved ones. Some who have already gone to, to be with their Savior Jesus, some who are on hospice and will soon be meeting their Savior Jesus. If you've ever been in a similar situation where, where death seems imminent, you've you got all sorts of prayers going through your mind and sometimes they might sound more like demands than requests. When, when tragedy strikes, when hardship comes into your life, it is easy for you and it's easy for me to go to our God in prayer, but maybe not so humbly. Maybe a little, this needs to happen right now. You've you got to take care of this, Lord. Why aren't you helping me? I need it now. Instead of simply asking. It's interesting to note how Mary approaches her son, who also happens to be the son of the living God. She makes no demands of him. She realizes that he is Lord, and that when he says, my time has not yet come, she she takes a step back, and she just lets God be in control. She just lets her son do what is best according to his will, in his time. And then when the time is right, water into wine. You had a pretty large quantity too. Were you doing the math in your head? There's six jars, 20 to 30 gallons each. The the 20-gallon jar, that would hold approximately 54 standard bottles of wine the 750 milliliter ones. 54. The bigger ones, the 30-gallon variety, 86. (laughs) That's a lot of wine. 300 to 500 bottles worth. This young couple getting married, they they had a need. They hadn't done anything to deserve Jesus to provide for them in this miraculous way, but they had a need, and Jesus... According to his will and on his time frame, he provides them with way more than they ever could have asked for or imagined. A whole wine cellar of the finest of wine. But Jesus knew the the best was yet to come. In our first lesson, we had a little glimpse of this miraculous escape from Egypt, the, the departure, the exodus. God's people walk through the sea with walls of water on each side. I can only imagine. That must have been amazing. Under the leadership of Moses, they they walk through a sea and are freed from slavery. God had promised to send another prophet like Moses, another priest like Moses, another king like Moses, who would once again free God's people from slavery, only this time it wouldn't be slavery to an oppressive nation, it would be slavery to sin, to death the power of the devil. <clears throat> and Jesus is giving a glimpse of his power, saying, I'm, I'm that prophet. I'm that priest. I'm that king. And one day he would go to a cross after having been whipped with a cat of nine tails, a whip that did more than just put welts on your skin that did terrible damage. He would hang on a cross and, and pour out his blood He would have the sins of the whole world, your sins and mine, placed upon him, and he would die. But as he endured hell, the wrath that your sins and mine deserve on that cross, he knew. He knew the best was yet to come. He knew that three days later, he would walk out of the tomb, that death would not hold him as it held Moses and David, that he would walk out of the tomb, and that that miracle, the miracle of his resurrection, would do more for his disciples, more for you and me, and water into wine. We're told at the end of this text that his disciples put their faith in him. That this little glimpse of his glory created faith, strengthened faith in the hearts of those who saw what happened, who saw this glimpse of his glory. Can you imagine the difference between the faith in the one who could change water into wine and the faith in the one that they saw suffer and dead? Who now walked into their presence and said, Peace be with you. Jesus' disciples saw the one who was dead alive. They put their hands where the nails were, they put their hands where the spear pierced his side, they talked with him, they touched him, they ate with him, they visited with him, they were taught by him, they saw more miracles by him, and then they saw him ascend into heaven, where he rules over all things to this day. Jesus continued to do miracles as he worked faith in the hearts of these men who were once spiritually dead. And he strengthened that faith until he ascended into heaven and then continued to through his word. Why do you think they went out so bold, so brave? Not worried about what people would do to them? Not concerned if someone tried to make them do something they didn't want to do? Not at all concerned if their Savior did not seem to be answering their prayers on their timetable. They went out boldly, bravely, proclaiming the word of God to anyone who would listen all across the world, no matter what. What could create faith that strong? A miracle even greater than this water into wine, the the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of their Savior, the one that they saw dead and alive created faith unlike any other that sent them out into the world with this incredible message of peace with God through his promised Christ. The miracle that happened in them has happened in you. As God has given to people who don't deserve it, grace beyond our wildest dreams. He has provided us with not just enough forgiveness to cover the sins that we have committed so far today and every day of our life, but so much forgiveness that you cannot possibly out-sin your God. There's nothing you could do that Jesus has not paid for. The miracle that happened when you were brought to the font and brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. The faith that is strengthened as the body of the risen and ascended Christ and the blood of that same risen and ascended Christ is given to us in his supper. The miracle of faith has been created in your heart too. Faith that, yes, sees a glimpse of God's glory as he changes water into wine, but faith that ultimately clings to the risen and ascended and glorified Christ who rules over all things for us, even today, even in times of transition, even in times of suffering, even while the masks are still on our faces for who knows how much longer, even when prayers seem to go unanswered for, for days, weeks, months, maybe even years, your faith is in the risen Christ the one who once was dead and is now alive. And that means that for you and me, the best is yet to come. Amen.